0: Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you again that you set us free, Lord, from the miry clay that we were sinking in, Lord, and you brought us upon a solid rock. And we thank you that we have this time together this morning, that we can look into your word. There would be a blessing and encouragement to us and a That you would teach us your ways, Lord, as you taught Moses your ways. Pray that you would give me your words to speak, Lord, and that your word would come forth and that you would be glorified during this time. Commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So, who was Jesus' first disciple? Peter.
0: Someone said something on this.
1: I said Andrew.
0: Andrew. Depends on which account you read, I guess. So what was Jesus' first miracle?
1: The wedding at Cana. It doesn't, doesn't seem possible that that would be the first miracle. And
0: because Grover was the first disciple... It was because of a miracle that that disciple was, like we read in in Matthew where, you know, Peter, Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. Was that a miracle? For Peter it was at least. (laughs) And for those, so it depends on which account you look at, but well, for whatever reason, John says this was the first miracle. So we're going to be talking about that first miracle. But John must have a different way of of understanding what the miracles were. Because John only has a few miracles in his gospel. There's only like seven or eight that he mentions. But for for some reason he calls that the first miracle. So we're going to read John chapter 2. John chapter 2 starting in verse 1 we'll read the, the wedding at Cana that account and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three forkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they fill them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear out the governor of the feast, bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning that set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And this, after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there
1: not many days. So,
0: this is the account of the wedding at Cana. And we're going to kind of just go through this whole story, see what we can learn from it. A lot of it will just be informational, but there will be something we can each one take, something that the Lord is speaking to us from it. So it starts with the, and the third day. Does anybody have a different translation that says it somewhat differently?
1: The King James says, on the third day. On the third day. Anyone else? Some some translations say it was the third day of the marriage. Okay,
0: so it could be the third day of the marriage, but... The way the King James says on the third day. So, if it was the third day of the marriage, then usually marriages at that time were seven days. So they had four more days to go of the first of the feasting. If they ran out of wine on the third day, that's really a sad situation because they had four more four more days to go. And in those days, they they not drink, drink water to satisfy their thirst. They drank more of the wine than water. Because water wasn't always clean. So they tended to drink more wine than water, just like they do in Europe today. But for whatever reason, there was, they ran out of wine on the third day. And, and some people suggest that maybe because there were 12 disciples with Jesus, <laughs> they probably only invited Jesus but he took 12 along with him and they had extra guests. but that's not but there was a dire situation it was only the third day they ran out of wine but there's another way of looking at it this third day so how do you count the third day and from when do you count it so you start with John chapter 1
1: In John chapter one, in verse nineteen, okay, that's when the Jews came to ask John about his baptism, and that's
0: that's counted as day one. Okay, then in the King James and other Bible, so it says the next day, in verse twenty nine. The next day that was that was when John proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God. Day three starts on verse twenty nine or uh, thirty nine. Jesus took his dis- new disciples home.
1: Day four Jesus met Nathaniel. That's when verse forty three. So,
0: so day four kind of ends, the, the chapter one ends with the story of Nathaniel, and then it starts with the third day. So if you count the third day from the, when Jesus met Nathaniel,
1: it would be the sixth day.
0: Or it could be either the sixth day or seventh day. It would be the sixth day. If you look at just the third day rather than after three days, if it said after three days, it would be the seventh day, but it said, whatever it is, it it would be day, day six, and so they, they correlate that with the six days of
1: creation. On day six, man and woman were created. And then there was a wedding. We don't know if the wedding was on day six or
0: because the, Eve and Adam are mentioned only in chapter two of the of Genesis.
1: But whatever it is, it started out. The Bible starts out with the with the wedding. Bible ends with the wedding in Revelation. And Jesus'
0: first miracle was at a wedding feast. So they make those correlations that the third day points to the sixth day of creation. Now, another thing we see in this, and a lot of people will comment on this, the way Jesus talked to his mother. So it says in verse 2, both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. It doesn't talk anything about Jesus' brothers being there, but later in verse 12 it says Jesus and his mother and his brethren, they went to Capernaum. So Jesus' his mother, it doesn't mention the mother's name at all. It just says, it keeps saying the mother of Jesus. But it's Mary, obviously. When Mary sees, Mary was somehow connected with the family in some way, with the wedding feast. And some, some say the family was related to Nathaniel. It could have been Nathaniel getting married.
1: Because Nathaniel was from Cana. So, that's all speculation. We don't know for sure.
0: But, Somehow Mary and Jesus were related to this family, there was this couple that were being married. It was it was Mary who notices that the wine had run out. And she comes to Jesus and says, They have no wine. Now she just brought that as a as information to Jesus they had no wine. Or she was telling him, What are you gonna do about it? I mean that's That's the way Jesus was understanding the question, would it they have a problem here? Are you going to do something about it? Now Jesus says unto her, Woman, he starts out by saying, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Now people look at this and say, Jesus spoke rudely to his mother. But the addressing of a woman, and using that term woman is not, was not uncommon in those days.
1: Here we can see, there's different examples
0: here. In John chapter 4, in verse 21, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, in verse 21, Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when he shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So Jesus addresses her as woman. And he wasn't talking to her rudely in that case. He was talking to her in a friendly manner. Another example is when Jesus, in in chapter John chapter 8 and verse 10, where Jesus is talking to the woman who was caught in adultery. In verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he, seeth unto, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee. So again, he wasn't talking rudely to the woman. I mean, he was being compassionate towards her. In another example, John chapter 20, when Jesus, after Jesus had risen and And I guess Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? So again, he refers to her as woman. Again, he wasn't speaking to her rudely. And then another example. When Jesus was dying on the cross, this time he's again referring to his mother. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said, said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Here's another example, so he called his own mother woman, but he was, he wasn't speaking rudely. But the, but still, uh, the, the fact remains, why would Jesus call his mother woman? Even though he wasn't speaking rudely, he would have called her a Hebrew term for woman or Ima or something like that. But he called her woman. So some say that Jesus was, first of all, what was he saying here? He's saying, My time has not yet come. What did he mean when my hour has not yet come? What hour was he talking about or what time was he talking about? Yeah, it could be that he was saying, it's not time for me to reveal myself yet. You know, that still has to stay hidden. Or he was saying, it's not time for me to rescue the people or whatever. It's not time for me to go to the cross yet. He knew that once he revealed himself it would only be a short time before his crucifixion.
1: Though some people
0: connect this with Jesus was trying to make a connection between what happened in Genesis chapter 3. When Jesus cursed the serpent and said the seed of the woman
1: would be your downfall You were saying to the serpent
0: basically so Jesus was referring to her she was the woman she's the only woman who could claim I mean Jesus was only the son of a woman he wasn't the son of a man every other person was the son of a man and woman but Jesus was the only person who was the son of a man of a woman of entirely of a woman, not
1: it was the Holy Spirit had
0: had put Jesus in Mary's womb, and she was the mother of Jesus, but he was not the son. If you look at the genealogy, as it mentions in Luke, it says, Adam was the Son of God, right so it's in like manner Jesus was the son of God. So he was not a son of man. So so Jesus was kind of making reference to that, most likely, but he used the phrase woman, but he says, what have I to do with thee? And that was was a common kind of phrasing used in those days. It basically had to do with relationship there's an example of it in in 1st Kings chapter 17 in 1st Kings chapter 17 this is
1: where Elijah had gone to
0: the woman the widow woman during the time of famine and she was the one that fed him and, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. After that, she, she had no son. And uh, Elijah prayed for her and uh, she she conceived the son. And then the son becomes sick and in verse 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was sore that there was no breath left in him. And he said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? So here's a, what have I to do with thee? Of course, this was written in Hebrew because it's the Old Testament. But when they translated in the Greek, when they translated the Hebrew into Greek, it used exactly the same phrasing that Jesus used when he was speaking to his mother, what have I to do with thee? In this case, the woman says, O thou man of God, but Jesus says to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? And actually, in the original Greek, it does not start with woman.
1: It ends with woman. So it says,
0: What have I to do with thee, woman? But they placed it, they placed the woman as the start in the English version of it. But in the Greek version, the woman comes last at the end of the sentence. Now some, like the NIV Bible, actually says dear woman instead of woman to make it sound more pleasant rather than the way it's written in the King James. So what what does this have to do, what have I to do with thee? In the case of the the woman and Elijah, she was saying you know, why basically she's saying, why have you come to me? Why have you come to me and at this time? Am I the one, am I being judged for my sins? Are you come to actually see my son being put to death?
1: Is what she's saying to Elijah. That's, uh,
0: it, yeah, okay, that's, so that's what relationship, so it has to do with relationship, it says, what is that, why you come to me in the sense of, what, how is this related to me? So Jesus was trying to tell Mary, basically saying, what is this between you and me, what is, what is this to us? Why would we be concerned about the fact that the family doesn't have wine? And the mother was obviously concerned because she didn't want, assuming this family was related to her, she didn't want the young couple to be embarrassed. It would be a bad situation when there's, there's no food or no, not enough nourishment for the guests and it seems like in those days if that was the case there would be some fighting going on people would get upset that there wasn't enough food why did you call us to the wedding if you don't have enough food and things like
1: that so then
0: but Mary doesn't seem to be taking it offensively she doesn't get offended by it she seems to be taking it in stride Mary goes to the, to the servants and says, whatever he says, do. She doesn't know that he's going to do anything because the way he responded was, it's not my time. But she had a feeling somehow that he's going to do something. She didn't know what he was going to do. She probably didn't know why she was even going to him, but she knew he was a special person because she she carried that in her heart from the time the angel came to her at the, in Luke chapter 1. When the angel came and announced that Jesus was going to be born. She knew there was something special, that he was the savior of the world. But she didn't know what he was going to do. If this was his first miracle, she didn't know what he was going to do. Because she's never seen him... The only thing she's seen him is act as her son, and probably an obedient child. Nothing to complain about, except the time when he was in the temple at Jerusalem when they were looking for him for three days. But other than that,
1: well, she doesn't know what he's going to do. But she says, "Whatever he says, do." So now there was one commentary I read that the the this author says that the, there's a there are two different Marys here when Mary approached Jesus, she was approaching him as a mother.
0: when Mary approached the servants, she was approaching him the servant as a believer. <laughs> She wasn't approaching the servants as their mother, but she was telling them, "I know he's going to do something." So she was believing in him, even though he had already responded with a no. But she was she believed that he was going to do something. She was just preparing the servants whatever he tells you to do. And it seems like she had some authority over the servants in the sense that they would listen to her. Normally, you don't. You know, the, you go, when you go to a wedding or something like that, they listen to whoever is coordinating the wedding, or, or someone in the wedding party, the wedding family, but they won't listen to any guests coming and telling them what to do. But here, since the servants responded to her, it doesn't say they responded to her, but it seems like they they took heed to what she was saying, she
1: she must have had some kind of presence in that wedding feast now mary
0: assuming that she was telling the servants to to be obedient to the, whatever jesus says is just it's a reflection of her own obedience when the angel came to her in Luke 1.38 and, then, and Mary said behold the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word and the angel departed from her So that Mary was an example of obedience herself and so she was able to say to the servants do what he says because she had already done what the Lord had said in her life She was able to tell the servants, you know, be prepared. He's going to tell you something. Be ready to do it. Now, we'll look at the servants and their reaction.
1: Of course, we'll look at, you know, why did, why did
0: Jesus turn water into wine? Couldn't he just have made wine appear? He could have just seen some empty jars and said, okay, here's wine, here's wine, here's wine, here's wine. He, just like he did at feeding the 5,000 or whatever. The food just appeared. Even though there was a little food to starve with, but it just multiplied. We don't know how, but somehow the food came there. He didn't. He didn't have to prepare one kind of food and change it to a different kind of food. But here he says, he turns the water into wine.
1: So it could be that he was going to use this as a teaching
0: moment. We'll see how the servants, what the servants do and what their job was to to accomplish what Jesus had told them. But another thing that could be, could correlate with, what was the first plague that the Egyptians had when the, the Jews were being brought out of Egypt? No. The water was turned into blood. Wait. So it could be a sign, that could be like a sign. But here Jesus changed the water into wine. And that wine then
1: eventually became a symbol of his own blood. At the, at the Last Supper when he says,
0: this is the new covenant in my blood. So, it could be a correlation between what happened in the plague, the first plague, water was turned into blood. Here water is being turned into wine. But for whatever reason, Jesus wanted to do it that way. He could have just filled the the wine, whatever wine containers they had. He could have just filled it up with wine and says, "Here, you got more wine."
1: But he didn't do that.
0: He told the servants he found there were six stone water jugs. Now, the the fact that it says stone water jugs implies that they were That was water used for purification. It says in the scripture, though, water used for purification. That wasn't water for drinking. When before they went into the temple for worship, or before before they did anything, you know, that was religious in nature. It was a, a, a ritual. Basically, they would wash themselves. Now they would have these stone jugs. Of water, these were big jars, and it says here they were two to three firkins. I don't know what other translations say. Twenty to thirty, 30 gallons—that's about what it was. A twenty to thirty gallon stone jar, okay. And some, maybe a few of them were twenty gallons, and few of them were thirty gallons, and that's why it says two to three gallons or two to three firkins. But it says the, the weight of those, the water itself in those gall- in those jars would have been like 200 pounds. Just the water in the jars. Okay. Not counting the fact that the jars were made of stone. So the weight of this, this, these were stone jars. These were not clay jars. These were stone jars. Means they were, every jar was cut out of one stone, one full stone. There were no, Seams or anything like that, it was all, so it was basically a jar chiseled out of stone. One block of stone, a jar being chiseled out of that. You can imagine the weight of that jar. But they did use soft limestone. So it wasn't a hard rock, it was a softer stone that was easier, easier to chisel out so that, but it was still heavy. So, the The point is that first these were for ritual purposes they were not drink it wasn't for drinking water they were It was considered the Jews considered the water in these jars to be living water, and the reason they called it living water, I put quotes around living it wasn't living water that Jesus was talking about. they called it living water because it was water that's able to purify. And the reason they say it was able to purify, anything that was flowing was able to purify. It was stagnant, you couldn't purify. So the way they would purify themselves is to t- take water out of these stone jars and then pour it, pour it on their hands. And the flowing water would be living water to them. And that's how they would wash their hands. But when Jesus came, he gave us a different meaning of living water. Or whatever it is, they considered that to be ceremonial water. It wasn't water for drinking. But Jesus told them, go and fill that with, fill that with water. Now, I don't know what the servants are thinking. What are we going to do with this water? This is, this is not drinking water. They were probably not even considering that he's going to be turning it to wine. They didn't know what was going to happen. But the servants obeyed. It wasn't a small thing for them to obey because we are assuming that those jars were empty. Or they were almost empty because it's been three days that people have been coming and washing and whatever for three days. And that's a lot of water that they've used. So if there was, let's say, 20 gallons in each of these
1: the total is a hundred and twenty